This is the Bridge Church Podcast, an audio ministry of the Bridge Church, a Nazarene community in Oahu, Hawaii. Please visit us in person or check us out online at bridgenaz.org. We hope to hear from you. We hope to see you. God bless.
held for a long time. This view that hope is a desire, something within, an emotion, a feeling, a longing. The Cambridge Dictionary is very similar. It says, to want something to happen or be true. And you usually have a good reason to think that it might. And I think that we've been taught that hope is a feeling. And we've led to we've, we've been led to associate hope with emotions. It's been suggested again that it has to do with desire or longing. And there may be a hint of truth to that. But I want to suggest to you today that that's ultimately. I think we're misguided and off the mark. Even more, my goal at the end of this message today um, is that we all just leave here with a healthier view of hope. One that is Christian in character, one that is scriptural in character, that is more robust, perhaps. I want to be able to walk, I want you to be able to walk out here if somebody were asking, what is hope? How do we find hope? that you can give a great answer with no hesitation. A good, healthy, sound answer. What is hope? So that's what I invite you to think about with me just for a few minutes together today. Or maybe even we can we could ask, what is Christian hope? Maybe Christian hope looks different than just hope. And to give us hope, we're going to consider just one verse today. That's all we're, we're looking at, one verse. And I'm going to admit to you that at first glance, this verse is going to seem like it has little to do with, little to speak to, little with regard to hope. Little, little to do with regard to hope. But if we're just patient for a few minutes, we're going to do a little bit of prospecting, uh, I think that maybe our minds will be pleasantly blown. Uh, in the end, just, uh, I think we'll be able to hope more fully. A fuller, we'll have a fuller understanding of hope. And so, in the next few weeks as we walk through Advent together, we're going to consider a few verses from the Gospel of Matthew. A few verses right in a row. And we're just going to do a little series here called Fooling. And today we're going to consider one verse. Matthew 1, 17. That's our springboard, our launching pad in the hope. Here's my translation. Thus, generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations, and from the Babylonian exile until the appointed one, 14 generations. And maybe you're looking at that and thinking, pretty glad. Not much going on there. That's all the face you're making, right? It's just a, a snippet of a historical timeline. And I get that. But I think this passage actually is speaking very deeply about hope. I think it speaks of hope in a very different, of a very different sort than Merriam-Webster or Cambridge. And what I want to do is I want to help you see that. How does this speak about hope? And let me say this. I, Michael Hall, am not here to give you hope. Michael Hall cannot give you hope. I, as a preacher, am not called to give you hope. It's not my job to give y'all hope. I have no ability in me to cultivate hope within you. My calling is not to give people hope. And so even though I'm speaking about hope today and helping you maybe see hope in these verses, in this verse, 
world getting twisted. I'm not a source of hope. If I, as a person, were able to give you hope, I can promise you this, it would be a false hope. Or a weak hope. I'm not a hope dispenser, right? And you can't drop, I can't just drop a little scripture in and turn it on and I'll put some hope for you. Can't do it. If you come to church looking for me to give you hope, you've already made a vital mistake. I mean vital. But here's the reality. True hope, Christian hope, is born from within, and I cannot give birth to hope in you. Even you cannot give birth to hope within you. Such hope would be feeble. And that it's the God who lives in you who gives birth to hope within you. And you have to open space for that to happen. And so if we're ever in a position where we feel like we're without hope, then we need to step back and ask whether we've Maybe bought into a false hope. A false hope created by other people, or a false hope created by ourselves. Or maybe we need to step back and ask, have we misunderstood hope? Altogether. And I, I think both occur very often. At least the latter, a wrong definition of hope that's often the culprit. You see, Miriam Webster and Cambridge and others, they've led us to believe that hope is a feeling, something that exists. Hope is a feeling that hope is a feeling for something that exists external to us. And that's the key. Let me say that again. They've led us to believe that hope is a feeling for something that exists external to us. Listen again to Miriam Webster. Hope is to want something out there to be true. What? Is the feeling inside us, and that want is for something outside us to be true, to happen, and that's a problem. Cambridge does the same. To want something to happen or to be true, like something out there to happen or to be true. So the feeling is inside us, they're saying, and the want is outside of us. But here's the, the problem with those definitions. They remove an agency from the equation. And agency is crucial to scriptural hope. Let me explain using a scenario. Recently, Panda Express has launched a new type of chicken. Right? And it's not actually chicken because it's a vegan product. And it's called Impossible Chicken. And frankly, I find it delicious. I love it. They launched it a few months ago. <laughs> Chris doesn't like it. I've eaten it probably a dozen times. Okay? It's so good. Chris, it's so good. Um, now, as a customer, watch, right? As a customer, every time I order that at Panda Express, I'm not just telling the company, Panda Express, hey, I like it. It's too small of you, right? When I make my orders, I'm actually building the company Panda Express. I'm actively contributing to Panda Express and stretching and diversifying Panda Express's menu for the long haul. In other words, I'm an active participant. I'm an agent in giving shape to what the future of Panda Express looks like and what its menu looks like. I create the future Panda Express by what I order right now. I'm the agent in that. I participate in that. And if you can grasp what I'm saying right there, 
then you can understand what Christian hope is, what scriptural hope is. If it's not something that we merely want to be true within us, that happens out there. As the dictionary suggests. Right? Hope, here's the bottom drop. Hope is something we participate in. Hope is our active participation in creating the present and setting up for the future. We're creating the future. From a Christian perspective, here's my definition of hope. Hope is, if I were writing the dictionary, here's what it would say. Spirit-led, active participation that creates the present and future God desires. Sounds a little bit wordy. That's our word of the week with an atypical sort of definition. Hope is spirit-led, active participation that creates the present and future God desires. You see the difference between how society defines hope and undefining hope. Society defines hope as something we want inside to happen out there. It's an inward desire that hopes for something outside of us, something external to us. But a Christian view of hope is not merely a desire or a feeling, it's a spirit-led active participation that is actually creating the present and the future that God desires. Hope is birthed in us by God, by the Spirit of God, who gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, who gives us discernment to help bring about what God wants in the present, and the future. Think back to that quiz. I would say, hope is where head and heart go hand in hand with holy living. It's actually all four of them. I tricked you with the quiz. And this is where we turn back to the single verse of scripture, and we can begin to see some of its richness regarding Christian hope. It breaks down into three parts, that one verse. The first is, this all the generations from Abraham until David were 14 generations. All right, we're going to start a new practice here at the bridge today, okay? Uh, in the sermons, as most of you know, we have a word of the week that's kind of a staple, and we have a bottom line that's kind of been a staple. We're going to add a third element to our sermons, okay? It's called Everybody Said. Okay. Uh, you're all familiar with the practice. When a pastor says, and everybody said, y'all say, yeah, that's what y'all have been taught to say. We're going to rework that. Okay? We're doing the reprogramming today. We're a little bit different here at the bridge. Let's change it up. Going forward, at the bridge, whatever I say, and everybody said, y'all don't say amen. Okay? What you're going to say is, so what? All right, so, so let's try it. Ready? And everybody said, so what? Perfect. One more time, and everybody said? So what? Perfect, perfect, perfect. Everybody says, so what? So what? Exactly, so what? We're looking at this verse, so what? Talking about hope, so what? Who cares? No, not in that sense, right? So what in the sense of, so what is the significance of this thing? So what? So what is the significance? Seems pretty bland. This verse seems pretty flat. Think about it. It covers 14 generations. Now, a generation, uh, in this sense, isn't a specific amount of time, like 35 years or something. It's just 14 generations of people. And so this first generation, if you were to go back and do all the scriptural calculating, the math, you would find that from Abraham to David, from Abe to Dave, is about 1,050 years. All right? 
14 generations. Just like us, ancient people, so, sorry, 14 generations from Abraham to David. Good. But ancient people, just like us, were not meant to just brush over this stuff. Not meant to gloss over it. This is here for a reason, y'all. It's meant to bring, whoever's reading it or hearing it, it's meant to bring what happened during that 1,050-year period to mind. In particular, remember the foundational event that happened to God's people during this time? It was the exile from Egypt. You remember, at the end of Genesis, the Israelites, they started enforcing slavery. And in the opening of Exodus, the tables have turned, and they're the ones that have been in slavery now. 400 plus years, and God raises up Moses to lead them out. And so, when we read about 14 generations from Abraham until David, that's at least one of the things that should come to mind. And here's why that's important in light of scriptural hope because God was active during that time. And God's people were called to be active during that time. Moses was active during that time. Nobody was just sitting around with an internal feeling of, oh, we want to, we want to get out of this. Like, we, we just desire to get out of this. We, you know, we're, we're waiting for something to happen out there. No, God raised up Moses and Moses led the people out. It was spirit-led, active participation that created the present and sets a future stage for what God desired. I mean, how much more spirit-led can you get than the Spirit of God parting seas and rivers and guiding people by fire and cloud? Scriptural hope is what that is. Christian hope, you see, is not just wanting something to happen and then waiting for it to happen. Scriptural hope is discerning where's God at? What's he up to where he's at? And then going to that place and joining God in what he's already doing. People all the time are saying things like, oh, I hope one day we'll have no more wars. We have songs that say that. Or, no, not going to do that, right? The spirit, spirit of God-led participation creates the present and future God desires. So you want no more war? We can make that happen. People say, oh, you know, I hope the world's better for my kids and grandkids than it is now. Well, you know, you can ensure that it is. Rather than just wanting that to happen, like having a feeling of it inside, you can actually ensure that that's what happens. How? Spirit-led, active participation in creating the present and future God desires. That's hope. That's what hope is. Hope is an action verb, not an inward feeling. And we can sit around and tell ourselves all day, all year long, that we hope the bridge will grow and thrive and do well. But if we're not doing and going, forget about it. Spirit-led, active participation that creates the present and future God desires. That's how God will use the bridge and sustain it. Doing and going rather than crying and dying. That's the pattern. That's hope. The next part of the verse, even fewer words, but kind of a similar point. And from David until the Babylonian exile, 
14 generations. Short period of time, this is 14 generations. This is actually, if you were doing this computer math, only about 400 or 500 years, 450, 500 years, not around 1,000. Still, 14 generations of descendants. And if you know your scriptures well, you know one of the key events here was not slavery in Egypt or the exodus from Egypt, like in the four previous 14 generations, but as it says, the exile. That period of time when God's people, they were brought out of Jerusalem, their homeland, and they were exiled into places like Babylon. Psalm 137, when it opens up, it opens with this harrowing scene. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept. There, we hung our trees on harps, while our tormentors or our captors taunted us, saying, go ahead, sing us your hymns now. The people lost their jobs. God's people lost their homes, their land, the food that they were used to. They were exiled. Their world was upended and decentered, and they suffered. And while we see scenes like that in Psalm 137 of weeping and longing, if not the whole story, y'all, you also have this group of prophets that God raised up, just like he raised Moses up. And one of them was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah comes along, and he knows what scriptural hope is. He comes along in the middle of exile, and he writes and he preaches right in the midst of exile in Babylon. And do you know what he says? Does he say, okay, everybody, I know you have that feeling of hope deep down in your heart. Just keep being optimistic. Just keep being optimistic. You know, it'll get better. Does he say, you just got to be positive throughout the exile, y'all? No, he doesn't engage in that toxic positivity. Those cheap slogans that are meant to make people feel good, but actually really make them empty. They sound cheap, and people can see right through them. He doesn't say, oh, just sit back and have enough inner hope, and perhaps something will happen out there. It's not what he says. No, in Jeremiah 29, he says, yeah, we're in exile. Look around, we're in exile. I see it, you see it. I smell it, you smell it. We're hurting. But we have hope. And here's what it looks like. It looks like action, doing and going. It's spirit-led, active participation that creates the present and future God desires. And so Jeremiah tells them, here's how we're going to do hope right now in the midst of exile. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to build houses. We're going to live in those houses. And we're going to plant gardens right in the middle of exile. And we're going to dig deep into the soil and the dirt. And we're going to go out and we're going to scatter seeds right in the middle of exile. And we're going to water and nurture those seeds. And we're going to grow food. And we're going to eat. And we're going to marry. And you know what? We're going to keep having kids. And we're going to create family. And we're going to be family. What an incredible thought. Amazing picture of hope. It's hope to the fullest. It's hope full. That's what it looks like to hope fully right there. 
in the midst of suffering, we see this spirit-led act of participation that creates the present God desires and sets the stage for the future God desires. And so we go from the exile, <coughs> from the exodus to the exile, and then we have the third event, the anointed one. Jesus, who comes to lead us out of another exile, an exile from sin. Lead us on, lead us through a new exodus. The third part of the verse you see here says, and from the Babylonian exile until the anointed one, 14 generations. And Jesus comes along, always doing the will of his father, and he is hope walking. He is hope with arms and legs and fingers and toes. And he's hope walking around, speaking and touching and breathing. And everything that he does and says is spirit that active participation that creates the present and future that his father desires. And most amazing of all, he comes to a group of fishermen and other people, people he knows, friends and family, and he invites them, don't join me. He says it this way at the end. He says, therefore, all you who gathered around with me, y'all, while going, make disciples. While going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so for you and for me, that's how we share Christian hope, scriptural hope, going, making disciples the great commission. And you know, if we're not doing that, we're being disobedient. As a people with true hope, we are to share our hope with others. And then those people are to share that same hope with others. And then those people are to share that same hope with others. And the whole chain of events should look exactly like what God said at the start of Genesis, being fruitful, multiplying, Filling the earth with his glory and image and likeness. And so, tis the season to be obedient. Tis the season to get ready to be going and doing. Tis the season of hope, spirit led active participation that creates the present and future God desires. You see, God knew that his people lacked hope at times. They weren't engaged in spirit-led act of participation. They weren't doing what he wanted them to do in the presence or setting his faith in the future. They took, so that's why he took on the form of a human and came to us. To not just give us hope, but to show us exactly what hope is. In action, something we do. Spirit-led act of participation that creates a present and future that God desires. The incarnation, God becoming human and dwelling among us, 
conceived by the Spirit. It was active. God literally doing and going. It was creating the present and future that God desired. The incarnation is the best example of hope we have. It's our model. It was God's plan A, the plan all along. And it reminds us, it reveals to us that hope isn't a feeling. It's an action word, a practice. Ever met someone who's lost hope? If so, it's probably someone who actually had a wrong view of hope, or a deficient view of hope, who embodied the society's chief view of hope. Webster's or Cambridge's chief view of hope. This inner feeling where they just want or desire something out there to happen. But they don't think they can do anything about it. Their agency has been stripped of them by the dictionary. It's what leads many to suicide or the breakup. How we understand and define hope can literally be a matter of life and death. And so if I were to ask each of you, what type of world do you want? What type of world do you want to live in? What type of world do you want for your kids and your grandkids or your nieces or nephews? Whatever your answer is or would be, it should go out of the scriptural or Christian view of hope. Christian hope is not just carrying on, slogging through. Christian hope stems from what matters most to God, filling our hearts and minds with images of that, always having it before us, coming back to it again and again, and going and doing it. It has a lot to do with what we give our time, the energy, and effort to. It's what we feed. That's why I believe people were always talking about the end of the world, Jesus coming back soon, rapture on the horizon. Uh, that's why those kind of people are such a great. Really, the end is what we want to see. Really, that's what God wants. That's not hope at all. You want to start seeing. Corner, your little corner of the world change and give energy and time to what God wants. Think of it this way. Each of us has like this time or energy, just like your phone, it has like a, a battery, right? An energy bank. Each of us has like a time and energy bank within us. And at any given time, that time energy bank is either filling or emptying. It fills up when we're doing what God desires. It empties, it begins to empty when we give time and energy to things that aren't what God desires for the present and future. Let's consider relationships, right? Is there someone in your life that seems to be sucking your time and energy out of you? Is that the world that you and God want for the present and future? No. Well, then stop giving time and energy to them. Catching my drift. I said before, Jesus walked away from toxic people all the time without permission to walk away from toxic people. We can follow his steps. His incarnation 
showing us how to live. So here's the thing. The first Christians were out and up here. The earliest Christians, they believed that Jesus' incarnation had implications beyond just the small world of the Galilee. They believed that the incarnation had implications for the entire universe. Their story, the 14 generations from Abraham to David, including the Exodus, the 14 generations up through the Babylonian exile. They believed that as they heard those stories and remembered them, that the world was broken. Their story, their stories, their tradition had reminded them repeatedly and taught them that the world was broken, that the world was in desperate need of repair. And so they believed. They believed God would begin to put it all back together and set it all to rights. But they also believed that they were called to play an active, spirit-led part in that. They didn't sit back and daydream about leaving this world, being the upstart and rapture. They didn't sit, about, sit back dreaming about that. They didn't sit back with their legs crossed, hoping that the world would end. No, they subscribed to this vision of God's restoration and renewal. They bought in to God's aim to reclaim this world. Enter the incarnation. The incarnation was the starting point for their worldview. The start of God's universe-wide movement to put them all back together and this place back together. So I have a question for us. Do we have a sense that we're participating in that? Or not? You see, for the earliest Christians, the gospel has nothing to do with flying off somewhere. It has nothing to do with using political force to get the church's way or enforce the church's morals. It had nothing to do with forcing people to live according to Christianity's rules. Instead, it was about serving the world, especially those caught in the undertow of society and empire. And so another question is, our view of Christianity of serving at the heart of it? I'll just bring it right down to our front doorstep here. I'll say this and I'm done Last week our board met, and we, we talked about what does God's present future look like here at the bridge? We're still brainstorming. And next week we're going to meet again. We're going to discuss it some more. And during the first week of January, as I said earlier, we're going to have this talk back session here. We want to hear from y'all. But I'm convinced of this. If we're not a going and building church, we're being disobedient. And if we're not doing the great commission of being faithful to that, we're being disobedient. If we can close our doors, and a few people right across the street don't care or don't know after 15, 20 years of being here, that's a problem. We're not doing what God wants. Period. If we're not having regular encounters with our neighbors in the neighborhood that we're in and being Jesus to them on a regular basis, we're not doing what God wants. Period. And we're not doing that. We're not giving hope. There's this guy named Brian Stevenson. He's the creator of the movie Just Mercy. It's all based on true stories um, about 
is chronicled by deep racism and systemic race issues with regard to black imprisonment in the South. And he has this quote. He says, you're either hopeful or you're part of the problem. So for our bottom line today, I offer you this, this Advent season. Be hopeful. Be active. That's it. Yeah.